Pod of Their Own. This is episode 47 of A Pod of Their Own. I am Allison McCaig, and I am joined this week by my lovely co-hosts, Linda Serovich. Hi, Linda. Hey, Allison. And Maggie Wigan. Hi, Maggie. Hi, Allison. We are also joined this week by very special guest, uh, Mark Simon. Hi, Mark. Hi, thanks for having me. Mark is uh, of Sports Info Solutions, uh, the company that sells analytics to Major League Baseball teams, so that's very exciting. And he is formerly of ESPN, where he was main researcher for Baseball Tonight. Um, so, Mark, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the work that you do at Sports Info Solutions? Sure. Um, the easiest way for us to explain it usually to, a, uh, I guess, a new audience is if you've seen the movie Moneyball, uh, we're the people that were providing the data to Billy Bean and the Jonah Hill character, which was Paul de Podesta, uh, to help them in decision making to get players like Scott Hatterberg or for in-game strategic decision making, like where do I put my shortstop for this particular play? Uh, we were founded in like 2002, 2003. Um, the owner of our company owns Stats Inc. He sold it to Fox uh, and then started another company that decided to uh, follow baseball in very minute detail. Uh, We track a lot of things, some of which the public sees, some of which the public doesn't. Uh, My role there is to kind of be the public face for the baseball content that we do. Um, That means that I write. I write for The Athletic. Uh, I blog on our company's blog. I host a podcast uh, that we have, a baseball podcast that is devoted to Defensive excellence and analytics, uh, two topics that we felt like we could have a nice podcasting niche in. Uh, I also, uh, and we can get into this a little bit, we provide notes uh, similar to the way that like Stats Inc. or the Elias Sports Bureau would provide notes to an ESPN uh, or some of the broadcast networks. We provide notes to a couple of different team broadcasts. And I can tell you that we've uh, helped educate Gary, Keith, and Ron uh, about... uh, uh, about a variety of topics uh, on which uh, you might think that they might be a little resistant, but they've been pretty uh, welcoming of, of our information. Uh, so that's what I do for uh, Sports Info Solutions. We're a fairly small business. We're in uh, eastern Pennsylvania, and right now we're just riding out the wave like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, I can <laughs> imagine. Um you guys are uh, probably like most well known, at least like to me, like average baseball fan and consumer as uh, as you know, the, the defensive run saved folks, the, the folks that came up with defensive run saved. Um, and I know that you guys have the, the podcast where you talk about various defensive statistics. And I think that the general feeling among the baseball community is that defensive stats have historically kind of like lagged behind hitting stats as far as like their ability to actually measure defense defense accurately and people are always debating about what the best way to measure defense is because it's really hairy thing to actually measure compared to you know hitting which seems a little bit more straightforward so can you talk about the challenges involved in that and how it differs from you know hitting statistics and things like that sure sure um so for many 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 years the primary statistic that was available to fans for defense was fielding percentage uh which is essentially looking at putouts assists and errors but the weakness of fielding percentage is that it omits 
all of the plays that a fielder didn't get to, like the grounder that was in the hole between short and third, the grounder up the middle, to talk about the other New York baseball team for a second, the pasta diving <laughs> Jeter kind of ground ball. Pasta diving. Um, right, exactly. Um, so what we've done is we've devised systems and processes by which you can make those sorts of evaluations. And one way that we explain it is uh, imagine the field as a grid and each uh, the field is kind of divided up into a series of squares. And within each square, if, I, if you were to tell me how hard the ball was hit and uh, whether it was a ground ball, a fly ball or a line drive uh, and where the fielder was originally, uh, at least within the infield, we can tell you like the out probability. It's similar to kind of like what Statcast can do. Um, and we can, and we, but we, we have different inputs uh, than they would. Um, so from that, you can combine that with other things that are position specific, like is a first baseman good at converting outs when he fields a bunt? Uh, is a catcher good at framing pitches? Is a catcher good at throwing out uh, base stealers? Is a catcher good at blocking pitches? And that's a simple, something like that. That was never tracked, but that's a fairly simple yes, no. The, the ball's in the dirt. The catcher either blocked it or he didn't, and the runner advanced. Uh, so we can tell you that like this catcher blocks pitches at a 96% rate, which is the best in the majors, and then the guys that struggle are going to be below 90%. Um, so we have position-specific things. For outfielders, it would be things like throwing arms. Uh, we have other things, too, and this is always a neat system to introduce to people. We watch games, and we chart what we call good fielding plays and defensive misplays. And you would think of it for a good fielding play as the kind of play that you would put an asterisk on your scorecard if you're still one of those people that keep score like, um, well, I don't anymore, but uh, a lot of uh, people certainly like to keep score and they mark good plays with an asterisk. Like so that I, keep, I, yeah. I keep score whenever I don't have a child with me, which so right, not so, as much as I want to, but like the majority of the time. <laughs> so how do you indicate the really good play? Um... It sort of it sort of depends on the play. Sometimes I will, if I'm really excited, I will generally like circle the square really intensely. But that's usually that's almost always for like a big home run or something. For a sparkling play, I'm not I'm not as on that as I should. <laughs> All right, so so we call those plays GFPs, uh, but we also will credit the fielder. For And there's a little bit of judgment here, but we have a pretty strict set of rules. Think about the ball that's hit in the gap in left center or the ball that's hit down the line that the fielder gets too quickly. And as a result, the hitter only gets a single instead of getting a double. Um, so we give credit for that. And there's kind of like a, a run value that gets assigned to that. So we have 30 categories of good. And then we have 60 categories of bad. And that Twice could be something like, boy, that <laughs> yep. it all, doesn't it? <laughs> that that now that could be something like slipping and falling. Uh, <laughs> that could be something as simple as throwing to the wrong base. That could be, you know, that if you keep score and you track like earned runs and unearned runs, you don't penalize the team for failure to get a double play. Like you have the grounder to short, and the the flip goes to second, and then the second baseman bobbles it, and the guy winds up being safe at first. In your scorebook, that's still a 6-4 with no error. In our books, that's a 6-4, but with a defensive misplay by the second baseman. And he loses run value for that. So then you take everything that we talked about. Does the guy uh, field balls and turn them into outs? And does he do all the other things that are important at his position? And you kind of smush them all together. And in the end, you get a run total. Uh, and that run total 
is judged against an average. So zero is an average player. Uh, 10 is good. 20 is very good. 30 is superstar. Negative uh, 20 is worst in the league. Negative 10 is bad. A lot of guys call it kind of fall into that negative five to five area where you're you're basically thinking them of them as average fielders. Oh, do I have to Mets? ask. Yeah, I was going to say, are the Mets in their own bad category? Like, you have a specific section just for them? I was going to ask if one of if one of the 60 bad categories is specifically called Daniel Murphy and made its, um, I its was, own category. I was literally about to ask if Daniel Murphy was his greatest dream or his worst nightmare as a statistician. <laughs> All right, so... so. At, at ES, when I was at ESPN, and we can, we've continued it, and I'm embarrassed to acknowledge this, but I will. We have a defensive run save fantasy league. Uh, where people <laughs> amazing. Draft. That's amazing. Nerds. Okay, so it, it's it's very it like it's only you're only drafting ten. You're not drafting twenty five. So you're drafting one in each position, and then we have what we call the wild card. And for the wild card, you get the opposite of his value, which makes Daniel Murphy. Nick Castellanos, J.D. Martinez, very valuable defenders, and they tend to go very early because they, they have very poor defensive run save totals. So if Murphy's negative 12, you're getting 12 runs saved from him. I love it. Amazing. That's amazing. Oh, Murph. Never so, change. <laughs> but in, in answer to what you're, ta- what you're asking about, yeah, the Mets have a lot of bad to them. They're bad at, at second. They're bad at short. Oh. Um, they are, uh, they're bad in, at JD Davis. They're no. bad, yeah, they're bad at catcher. They're bad, <laughs> like man. Noah Syndergaard rates poorly because of all the stolen bases that he allows. Um, Ramos doesn't pitch frame well. Um, Alonzo is below rates below average, but I think it's fair to say that we could see that changing over time, uh, because there were, there were a lot of good signs from him. Uh, Rosario does not rate well. McNeil does rate well uh, and uh, has been useful to them because he can play multiple positions and not hurt them anywhere. J.D. Davis rates poorly. Lagaris in his prime was was like the top or top like a top two center fielder. Um, so there was a time when when things were good. That time is not now. How <laughs> unplayable at center is Brandon Nimmo really? <sighs> um, so he so uh, with Nimmo and Conforto. Like, they don't look like you wouldn't like outright say, I think, that they look terrible. Um, they're just they're below average. And the, the range on that is slightly too modestly, I guess. The center field is tough because when you're in center field, you're competing against all the the other center fielders. And that means that you're going up uh, in, in terms of plays made against a guy like Kiermaier in Tampa Bay or a guy mm. like Byron Buxton in Minnesota or the, like every center fielder has some skills and everyone thinks that their center fielders, either the very best center fielder in baseball or the very worst center fielder in baseball. Uh, in truth, there are only a couple of guys that can be at the very top of the heap. Um, but Nimmo, I would put Nimmo in the bottom, like at pro- maybe at the top of the bottom third. Okay. That okay. That seems right. fair. So is Marisnik really an upgrade over that? Because yes. that's okay. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> okay. that's why they got him. I, I was gonna say would, I hope he would be. <laughs> I would think that he'll play the seventh, eighth, and ninth uh, in any game that they're up. I don't know, two or three late. 
uh, and they feel like they can make that move. Um, that it makes sense for him to play kind of a defensive closer kind of role. Like Lagares used to be. Yeah, 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 exactly that kind of thing. So is there a specific profile of player where you find that the eye test and DRS disagree the most often? Is there a, okay, a specific profile? That's hard. Um, I think, so I'm going to, I'll, I'm going to kind of stall with this. The, <laughs> Go the, for it. <laughs> the, I think that the eye test and the the uh, statistical test match up a lot better now than they did a few years ago. And we made some recent changes to our stats to, I think, make them look better. Um, there's an interesting, I guess, quibble on someone like Hosmer. Um, and you'll hear Keith Hernandez mm. frequently will say Eric Hosmer is the best first baseman in baseball. Um, the numbers don't bear that out. He, lo- I think the, the profile would be there are certain guys that look the part, like they make the very nice play or they scoop throws decently. Uh, this is, I guess, specific to first baseman. Eric Hosmer very much looks the part, kind of that long, tall first baseman um, who looks like he's covering a lot of ground. He's not, and that's the issue. Uh, that there were a lot of balls. I think it was the the issue for him was that there were a lot of balls that slipped by him in the first base, second base hole, um, and that was dragging down uh, his rating. Okay, and you it's tell funny. Me you the go- drops pop up when against him because that made <laughs> oh, my heart so happy as a Mets the, fan. So that, so that's a fa- like that's a fascinating play because if you like, who first of all. There are a bunch of players that I think would lose value on that play because you could make the case that any number of guys probably have historically a 100% chance of recording out there, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that's a, that's a pop-up that's right there for him. So yeah, I would think that yes, he, he would lose a very <laughs> significant amount for the drop pop-up just as uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to bring this up. No, but just as Luis Castillo would, would lose a lot for the drop oh. pop up. Um, that, <laughs> that does Sorry, hurt. that cuts deep. I would have started drinking earlier if I'd been if I'd been ready for that. <laughs> we had known <laughs> that we were going to get a Luis Castillo dropped pop up mention on the pod. Well, it's my fault. I bought a so, Cosmer because I wanted to get a little bit of that back. That but... is one of the few <laughs> games I've been watching since ni- like nineteen eighty two. That is one of the few games in Met history that made me turn off my TV and refuse to watch the next game uh, <laughs> outright. I went to I went to a play. Um, I went to see. I think a, a our local community theater was doing The Odd Couple, so I said I will I will suffer through that rather than watch another <laughs> game. <laughs> My dad has had a handful of games like that throughout Mets history. And when whenever a game like that happens, the next day, like I, a sucker, will be watching the Mets. And my dad will come in the room and go, your Mets are terrible, Allison, and walk away like, Aww. your Mets, as if, as if I am not afflicted with this disease because of him. <laughs> this is your my, fault, sir. My friend, I learned it from you, Dad. I learned it from watching you. They're always my Mets whenever something bad happens, which is most of the time. Well, my friend's dad was watching that game with, I think, his brothers. 
And they were all Yankee fans. So, of course, he hits the pop-up. So he starts celebrating and goes, yeah, in your face, we win. And, oh, and of no. course, the ball drops. And he goes, I just turned around and walked out. <laughs> he was like, what can I say? He said nothing, didn't say goodbye, just turned around and walked out of the oh, house. Oh, man. Rough. <laughs> So, Mark, uh, speaking of our Mets-specific audience, there are a couple of projects that you've worked on um, that will be of interest to our audience, uh, specifically Mets Walk-Offs, which was a blog you wrote that you are now bringing back for during COVID. So tell us a little bit about that. So in 2005, um, there was a blog that, that existed uh, called Plunk Biggio, which was devoted to tracking Craig Biggio's hit-by-pitches as he chased for the all-time record. And they would do, like, who are the all-time hit-by-pitch leaders by astrological sign. And, Amazing. Um, the odds were and, a wild time, kids. The odds were wild. Especially yeah. on the internet. Yeah. Exactly. It, it was kind of, it was a very Wild Westish kind of thing where, like, anything went. And I remember saying to myself, I love to chart things, so what could I actually sit and chart and like do something cool for and i got the idea like what's my favorite kind of met game and my favorite kind of met game is when they get a walk-off win so i was like all right why don't i see if i could find every walk-off win in mets history and this is before the, the baseball reference play index was really sophisticated so that meant going through a retro sheet and looking up for every home game that they won by four runs or less whether they scored, they scored <laughs> to win in the bottom of the ninth so that after a couple of weeks of doing that, going through, I don't know, a couple of thousand games or whatever, I had a very nice spreadsheet uh, with a good amount of detail. And I started writing about uh, the different games. And they would usually be tied to, like, if something happened in baseball that night. And I caught a break in that, like, three or four days after I started. If you remember the Cliff Floyd game in 2005, um, that happened. Um, Cliff Floyd <laughs> did a thing. dramatic... Yeah, Cliff Floyd hit a dramatic walk-off home run uh, against Brendan Donnelly of the Angels after Marlon Anderson hit a game-tying home run oh! in the ninth inning off K-Rod. Yes, which, yes, yes, yes. Okay, now that the light bulb went off. One of my all-time favorite, just like Met kind of things, and um, I wrote about that game, and then I found other games that were somewhat resemblant in random ways. Uh, there was an anniversary of a famous game, which is known to Met fans that are in their like 50s as the Steve Henderson game. And uh, as a journalist, uh, I reached out and got Steve Henderson on the phone and he's telling me all these details about how he gave his wife uh, an engagement ring that day. And then they're down six to nothing and they come back and win and it's six to two in the bottom of the life and they score five and he hits his first home run of the year. And suddenly I've got like a series of pretty good stories. So I did that for like, five years and then um espn started espn new york and i kind of was i guess maybe not supposed to be doing what i was doing so i was like all right if they'll let me write for espn new york uh, and write met stories then i'll i'll stop and, and we'll just uh, i'll put the blog on pause so i put the blog on pause for i guess 10 years uh one of the projects that i did though was i tried to rank the 60 best home runs in mets history um, and that's what I decided to bring back. And I decided to expand it to 100 uh, using 80 for the regular season and 20 for the postseason uh, to round it out. And I've been writing about them at MetsWalkoffsAndTrivia.com. 
Very exciting. I'm looking through your list right now, and I'm like getting fuzzy memories of some of them, the ones that I remember, <laughs> the ones that I was alive for, of course. Yep. And since I'm biased, where would have the Grand Slam single been on the list if it was an actual Grand Slam? Oh, boy. So, okay, so I was at that game, and I always say, <laughs> as soon as that game is mentioned, I always say that game will never be topped. No. Uh, that That is the most... Like, I'm not typically someone who is amped when they attend a game, but I was, like, kind of amped at a scary level for that one. Um, <laughs> so I, I put, for so for postseason, you have to consider that they've won the World Series twice. Um, so I think that, that you got to put those ahead. But yeah. then you've got, like, that next tier, which is, like, the Len Dykstra home run in 86, the Todd Pratt home run in 99, the Agbayani home run in 2000. So it's probably in that like four to six range of postseason home runs. I've got the game-winning home run in Game Seven of the 1986 World Series first. Uh, then I've got the big home runs that they hit in Game Five in '69. Don Clendenin and, and Al Weiss; those are essentially tied for second. Uh, but I think it would be that. It would, I think it would be the next one after that because that was that was admittedly uh, extraordinarily epic. Yeah, if it wasn't it, if like I think there's only been one like walk off grand slam in postseason history like excuse you there's two Mets fans know this <laughs> Mets fans know the Mets fans know the truth yeah, I think it was the Rangers I can't remember who it was yeah um, oh Nelson Cruz yes that's who it was yeah yep. Yep. so that's the only official grand slam walk off grand slam right. in postseason history but right. we know the truth <laughs> so if you go back to to when I did it to now like trying to add on was the challenge of it. And in thinking about like, what are the meaningful home runs of the, essentially the 10 year hiatus for me. Um, and I think the, the clear cut favorites on that are Wilmer, right? Yeah. Uh, and then Estrubal Cabrera against the Phillies, which is my other, this will never be topped kind of thing. I oh, actually, the, I covered, that, I covered that game. game. So I was bad. at that game. I was at that oh. game actually with Chris McShane, who who is the editor at, at Amazing Avenue. And I was, I was like maybe two months pregnant with my daughter. And like, I don't think anyone here is pregnant. I will. Um, at two months, you're just exhausted all the time. Like I would be going to bed at like eight o'clock at night. But I wanted to go to this game, and then it goes into extras. And the only catch was that I knew that. Chris would give me a ride home if I stayed. Uh. Otherwise, I'd be on the train. <laughs> and so I stuck it out. I, I thought I was just going to like pass out until that last inning. And it was just like the greatest inning ever. And I would stay for that game a thousand times out of a thousand. <laughs> so, yes, I agree. That is way up there. So both of those are in my top 15. Uh, and in fact, I got Wilmer. I was like with Wilmer, I felt like I had to get it in my top 10. And it was just a matter of trying to squeeze it in. And I mentioned the Steve Henderson game before. That one is is 10th. Wilmer is 9th. And I feel like those are like identifying games for certain generations. Like if you ask someone like, if you follow Faith and Fear and you talk to someone like Greg Prince, the Steve Henderson game is like a touchstone game for him, June 14th, 1980. And I feel like that for people that are probably in their 20s and 30s, that the Wilmer Flores Tears of Joy game is like right there with that. Uh, so that that's why it's it's uh, it's ninth on my list. Estrubal Cabrera is just a little bit behind that. There were uh, <laughs> Willie Mays uh, jumps Estrubal Cabrera, among other things. Uh, Willie Mays homering in his first game as a Met, uh, which was like 
another kind of epic kind of moment uh, is uh, is ahead of it. Fans of this podcast know I have mentioned this a few times on the pod, I think. But the one that sticks out to me here like a sore freaking thumb. Number <laughs> I know 18, where this is going. <laughs> number 18, August 22nd, 2006. Should have been at that game, but my brother was there instead because it was his birthday. Forever mad. <laughs> Should have been at that game. My dad was at that game. My brother was at that game. I was not. Uh, but that's... So, so- that's the Carlos Beltran home run against the Cardinals, uh, the yep. game where Pujols had the seven RBIs. Uh, Delgado hit his, I guess, 400th, and then Beltran hit the winning home run against the pitcher who we wish had been on the mound for game seven, I suppose, uh, Jason Isringhausen. Um, speaking of games missed and grudges, I have to bring this up. I always bring this up. Uh, in 1986, I was 11, and Game 6 of the National League Championship Series between the Mets and Astros was on, I believe, a Wednesday uh, and uh, my mom made me go to Hebrew school. And uh, I was in Hebrew school with the Mets trailing three to nothing. And the teacher says, you know what? It's time for a special project. And the other fifth grade class or sixth grade class comes into our room. And the other teacher has a radio with her. And we sat there and we listened to the ninth inning when the Mets scored three runs to tie the game. And they won in 16. And I got home in time to see the end. But I'm still well, mad at my mom amazing. for making me go. Right. But at least you saw the end. <laughs> So, when you I were talking sick. about um, using RetroSheet to curate a lot of like you know old box scores and things like that, um, I feel like I need to bring up um, what fans of this podcast, uh, listeners of the podcast, may not know. Um, super fun fact uh, about me: my um, genetics professor in undergrad is the um, inventor of RetroSheet, uh, David Smith. David Smith. Mm-hmm. I wow. had him as a professor. Oh, he was my academic advisor as well. And he is basically the reason I'm a geneticist now. Um, he oh. and I were super close. Like he, he's probably one of the most influential mentors I've ever had in my academic career. And he is a fantastic citizen as it comes to the baseball statistical, uh, statistical community. too. Yeah. Like meeting another person who is really into genetics and baseball stats. I was like, seriously, like you are my new best friend. <laughs> We, I sat in his office for hours during my undergrad when we would just talk baseball for hours on end. It was great. I have emailed him countless times, and this is before baseball reference got really developed, uh, with questions where he would uh, program his database uh, of box scores and play-by-play for things like what I was doing for uh, the the Mets uh, walk-off type thing. Like, hey, did this kind of walk-off ever happen before? The, the one that I always like to ask about is, was there ever a walk-off catcher's interference? Because that would be like the worst mm. possible way to uh, to lose a game. And there was, and actually the catcher was Johnny Bench, which is crazy. Wow. wow. <laughs> so, and I, I have one other. So with, with, with the walk-offs, I've... Um, I think I wrote something like 50 essays about game six of the 86 World Series. Because, again, I was 11. It's like your moment right there. I was sitting six inches from the TV. (laughs) Right, I'm sorry. I'm I'm old. (laughs) Don't rub it in. (laughs) I'm the old old person of the the show. Um, I was sitting six inches from the TV when the ball went through Buckner's legs. And that moment to me is like etched in my brain like nothing else. So I went to the Hall of Fame and asked for the Bill Buckner file. And there is some unbelievable stuff in the Bill Buckner file. But perhaps the most amazing, and I want, I'm using amazing specifically here, um, 
in his first major league game. He was on the Dodgers. It was 1969. And the Dodgers lost the game because a ground ball went through a player's legs in the bottom <gasps> of the last inning. Oh, no. True story. 100%. <laughs> wow. It's so cool. <laughs> anyway, that's the kind of stuff that I look up. And I'm we're a, I'm a little, so grateful that you do. Yeah. <laughs> Although I'm a little upset that Curtis Granderson isn't on your list because I was at the game when he hit the home run to tie the game and I think the tell in the tenth inning and then he hit okay. the walk off in the eleventh. Like that was the first time that happened in Mets history. And I was that, there. <laughs> you you should go check out the blog and look up uh, number fifty two because okay. the Granderson versus twins game is number fifty two on the list. Okay. <laughs> all right i'll accept that i'll accept that i love grandy grandy deserves that all the, i miss him i miss him so much yeah i miss him too he's he i miss him a lot i miss him and adam jones just being a part of baseball they are amazing citizens of the game i miss them yeah just great ambassadors as a whole um so before we move on uh, to our kind of other mini segment on favorite Mets, um, Mark, I just wanted to shout out the tweets you've been doing um, on Giving Newsday. So if you want to tell our listeners a little bit about um, the organizations you've been shouting out on Twitter. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I think we're all a little frustrated um, during this time and people get angry and people get irritated and I, I tend to get irritated at certain things political in nature, as I can imagine that, that many of you are. And I was like, what can I do to, to do something about that? And someone said to me, you have to like take your interests and try and just share them and try and uh, just make one, make, try and make people's days better, but also try to be help. If helpfulness is what you're looking for, try to be helpful. So I have sent out, I think it's now 15, 16 straight days, a tweet uh, saluting a different reporting organization where I summarize what they do. Here's the link uh, you can go to for more information. And these are places like Report for America, which is a program uh, that gives uh, opportunities to younger journalists to work um, covering really important things. Like there was a Report for America reporter at the Michigan State House when all those protests were going on who got hit in the head by a protester with a rifle. Wow. Um, there's things like the World Federation of Science Journalists, the uh, Society for Professional Journalists, uh, a copy editor's organization. Uh, I've, <laughs> I guess you could say I've run the gamut. And on Giving Tuesday, I listed uh, a couple of others uh, as well. Um, you can check it out at Mark A. Simon Says. Uh, I've put up a, a good number of them. And it's, it's, uh, it's a chance to educate yourself on the importance of uh, a free and dedicated press as opposed to those who like to scream about things like fake news yeah it's a an ex it's an extremely noble cause and i think we can all agree that good journalism is more important now than ever and they need our support now more than ever because a lot of journal journalism organizations are suffering because of the pandemic um in addition to you know many sectors um but it's really important during these times that we have accurate information so yep. thanks mark 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So in the second half of our show today, we are going to um, read the responses that we got. Uh, We tweeted out a little while back asking folks who their favorite med is and telling us uh, their stories as to why. So we will read out the responses that we got on Twitter, but we'll start with all of us. So Mark... Who is your favorite Met and why? All right. Um, so when I was eight, um, I went to a baseball card show and my dad used to make T-shirts. He owned a store where he could make T-shirts and he made a T-shirt with Neil Allen's rookie card on it. Who was Neil Allen? Neil Allen was the closer of some very mediocre Met teams. Um, but he was distinct because he had a huge leg kick um, like where the leg would get up uh, up near the, the bottom of his, uh, like the, the leg would get up near his chin. Uh, and he had a really big curveball. And Neil Allen was in a slump uh, in the early 80s, and he had some personal issues too that he, he was dealing with. But he did a baseball card show, and I brought my Neil Allen rookie card to get him to sign it, and he wasn't really like paying attention to people. And then he looks up and he sees my shirt, and his face completely changed. And you could tell that his day was made better um, by that. And he's, he's talking to me. I'm, I'm a little kid and he's like, Oh, I have to win games for you now. I have to pitch better. And the kicker to the story is that a couple of weeks later, he got traded for Keith Hernandez. <laughs> but <laughs> I decided oh, I'm for, for you. Loyal. So I, I am a loyal, I am a loyalist to Neil Allen. I have among other things in my apartment, uh, a watercolor painting, uh, that was painted by, if you guys are familiar with Joe Petruccio, yes, uh, he's a I, I have, I have a watercolor painting of that uh, rookie card. Oh, that's, that's amazing! I love that. So, Maggie, who's your favorite Met and why? Uh, I've been thinking about this, and I didn't even really come into t- this recording with an answer. But um, I mean, I love, I love, love, love David Wright. Like that. If I really had to like ride or die. That's the one. But, you know, I, I grew up when I was little. Um, my favorite player was Daryl Strawberry because his name was also a food. And that's how old I was at the time. But <laughs> that's I was how I liked him too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. Um, and what I didn't realize, you know, I would ask my mom every morning if Daryl Strawberry had, had hit a home run the night before. And the answer was frequently yes. Um, but I didn't know at the time that that was exceptional. Like, I didn't know that he hit more home runs than anybody else. It just, he was the one I wanted to hear about. So I love Daryl Strawberry. Um, Daryl Strawberry was also the first time I learned to never have heroes because I read an article about him and his personal problems, particularly with women um, when I was like maybe 16 or 17. And it definitely like broke me for a little bit, but um on the other side of the spectrum of not having personal problems, we actually mentioned one of the other players who I just will always have a place for in my heart. And that's Curtis Granderson. You know, I just, I always loved watching him play his, 
his vibe is off the charts. He's just like a joyful person to watch, to hear from, you know, he just, and then when he just came out in 2015 and he absolutely killed it in the world series, it was just, um, just perfect. I just love Grandy, everything about him. He's a real, he's like a good person and we just need more of those. So David Wright, but also Curtis Granderson. Good answer. Linda, yeah, how about great you? Answer. See, I was like Maggie and um, I've been going back and forth on this um, and I've given it a lot of thought and of course David Wright, ride or die. Like, I think that's a given for everybody at this point. Um, and then, of course, then there's Jake and, of course, my man's JD now. And they're all fun and I love them with all my heart, but they never would have existed if it wasn't for Robin Ventura. He's the one that got me into Mets baseball and I love him and hate him for that. Um, but, like, how I kind of looked at it is... Um, Allison, I know this is probably going to hit home for you right now because you're watching them. Like, the Marvel movies started with Iron Man and then it created this whole world after that. And um, so Ventura's kind of my Iron Man. Like, I might, there might be better players. There might be, you know, like in the Marvel universe, there might be better movies. Um, like, obviously, Jacob deGrom is more accomplished than he is. David Wright's more accomplished than he is, but it all started with him. And I kind of can't get past that. Like, I, I, who knows? Like, I wouldn't be writing for Amazing Avenue. I wouldn't be podcasting. So um, I have to, I just, and, you know, I love Piazza at the time too, but it, I just, I, and also he spoiled me because I thought, you know, infield defenses were just good. And I just thought that's how it was. <laughs> and now I realize that is not the case. So he kind of spoiled me back then. But so I have to. And then also that's the first time, you know, I saw my hero succeed on the big stage, too. Um, so, yeah, I, I have to go with Ventura. And as much as it breaks my heart to not say David Wright or Jacob deGrom, it's, it has to be my final answer. Yeah, that's yeah, that's awesome. I I love it. Robin Ventura is very underrated in Mets lore. I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Although I went to a game, it was in twenty. It was the day after Matt Harvey's near perfect game because I went to the next game because um, they were playing the White Sox. I was like, yes, he's coaching. I can go see him coach. <laughs> so I wore my black Ventura jersey to the game, and I was so excited. And. There was a family behind me on the escalator and the father behind me, I hear him go, oh, a Ventura jersey. And the kids go, oh, who is that? So now I'm already upset because we can't do that now. <laughs> and then the father goes, oh, his first name was Ace. It's a joke. And the kids just accepted it. So not only did they not know who Robin Ventura was, they didn't know who Ace Ventura was either. <laughs> Damn kids not knowing their own history. I was like, okay, I want to throw myself off this escalator now. My battle. <laughs> At some point, you just have to blame the parents. You do. That was the, the total failure on that dad's part. Yeah, for real. Robin Ventura would have done very well in defensive run saves. He was he was as, as good as he gets at third base for sure. Yeah. Okay, that makes me very happy. I mean, I'm not surprised, but it's good to know if the numbers back that up. Yeah. Um. 
for me, like, I, I don't know, with you guys, this is a really hard decision. And it's, and it's really hard to think of anyone to say other than David Wright. Because um, for people of our generation, David Wright is the Mets, the way that Tom Seaver was the Mets um, yeah. for my dad's generation. Um, and, you know, as far as, like, who... Because I was already a Mets fan, like a full throated Mets fan by the time David Wright came up so as far as what players because it's like there's categories of players like Robin Ventura for Linda that are the reason that you're a Mets fan then there's like the franchise players and there's kind of like your weird personal favorites Um, so there's like three categories of favorite Mets Um, obviously the like franchise Met category for me goes to David Wright Um, as far as like the players that made me a Mets fan probably like a 50 50 split between Mike Piazza and Edgardo Alfonso um the 9-11 home run was hugely instrumental in my Mets fandom like that is kind of like the moment I remember from those years um I'm a little bit younger than Linda so I don't really remember the those Mets like super well like the 99 2000 team I mean I'm old enough that like I was around and I remember like I was, I was elementary school age. So, but I don't, I wasn't like all in on baseball yet. I was just kind of like, you know, an observer of my dad being all in on baseball. Like, I don't remember too much of the 2000 World Series. Thankfully, probably. You're lucky. Yeah. I know. Um, Count your blessings. Like, I remember my dad being very upset about it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I remember like, and I remember like the, the, the like epicness of the grand slam single uh in 99 and all that but like i don't those aren't i don't consider those part of my personal mets lore um the way i consider the 9-11 home run to be like the catalyst of my mets fandom so that for that reason i think mike piazza is huge and and edgardo alfonso was like my favorite at that during that era my personal favorite so those two were hugely instrumental to my fandom and obviously david wright kind of just like cemented it um but but an underrated pick for me, I think, for favorite Met, even though he's not underrated as a player, but like, and it's hard because of everything that's gone down recently that has like tinged his legacy. But Carlos Beltran is is so special to me as such a, a good choice. Um, because he was number fifteen, and fifteen was always my favorite number, and so I already loved him because uh, he wore my favorite number, and he was a hugely important player during that uh, during that stretch of good Mets teams and during during the two thousand six um, playoff run. He was he had his best years with the Mets, really. Um, and he was Hall of Fame. There's another defensive run saved guy. <laughs> he did pretty, yeah, absolutely. pretty damn good on defensive run saved. Um, just the, the, the ultimate example of a five-tool player does everything well. Every single facet of baseball, Carlos Beltran was great at it. Um, and he's the reason why my soccer number was 15, my whole childhood and my whole adult life into my whole adult life. I wore 15 on my back and it was all because of Carlos Beltran. So I think it was because of Travis Darno. No. <laughs> okay. Just checking. Although I always do have like an extra little, like 
love for whoever wears 15 at any given time, even if it's a nobody player. Not that Travis Darno is a nobody player. He was important. But, like, even if it's some rando bench guy, whoever wears 15 is, like, my favorite. Um, yeah, see, that's also me with Ventura. My lucky number is four. So he was already in, like, right away. So, and I've been lucky. I had him and I have, I had Wilmer. So four has been pretty, pretty good for me. pretty good. Yeah. And I had, and I had a Carlos Beltran jersey um, when I was a teenager because um, Carlos Beltran played on the Mets kind of during my high school years. That was like the 06 Mets. Um, and I had a Carlos Beltran jersey that I wore to soccer practice every single day because I was insistent that I was number 15 at all times, even when I was not. So I wore my Carlos Beltran jersey to soccer practice every single day to the point where the coach started calling me Beltran. And that became my nickname. Like people Mm -hmm. refer to me as Beltran, my soccer teammates. So I feel like because of that branding alone, Carlos Beltran has to be my pick. Yeah. That's hard to argue with. Yeah. I, I love Carlos Beltran and this whole thing of, of him being manager and not has been, emotionally devastating for me um but yeah um so yeah let's read some of our responses that we got on twitter um from various listeners and amazing avenue folks uh so we'll start with vaz writer at amazing avenue um he said i'll avoid the obvious piazza fonzie and right and go with bobby j jones hell yeah good pick (laughs) he was the first met whose name i remembered and when i started following the mets even though he wasn't great or anything, I was a huge stan. I was so excited when he threw that one hitter in the 2000 NLDS. That is such a good underrated pick. And that game was amazing. He was so good that day against the Barry Bonds Giants. Yep. The funny thing is that um, Dusty Baker, if you ever bring that game up to him, he gets visibly upset. Oh. Like, he, <laughs> he, he, it really bothers him considerably that they uh, he he i can tell you that when i asked him about jones he said he didn't well he he'll just i'll just say he didn't think that he was necessarily that good that day oh huh. interesting. <laughs> he, he just thinks that the i think he just lucky. thinks that they got a little lucky yeah mm. and i will say this he was locked in like that that you were talking about how that's a favorite game he that guy was locked in from from warm-up pitch number one I remember I was I remember watching the warmups of that game uh, and being like, he's just, you know, get it and throw it, get and throw it, get and throw it and and locked in. And uh, you saw it. Uh, it was that's that's an all timer for me. That one is definitely a great one. That's a very underrated series, too. Like Benny Agbayani is the hero. Bobby Jones. Like it was just, just so random and yeah, it's so perfect. Yep. <laughs> Um, so we've got um, Mets at Mets and the memes on Twitter. The great Lord Buttermaker, Buttermarker, Buttermaker, Buttermaker. I really liked Carlos Gomez when he first came up. The thought of having two Jose Reyes's in the lineup made me salivate. I must have been eight or nine when they traded him for Santana. God, we're all old. Um, oh God. Yeah, because if you were eight, oh God. Um, so naturally, I, I cried for an I hour. Yeah, Carlos Gomez was going to be it, but it's nice that he yeah. got his Mets reunion. That's always good. And he had a memorable day when he lost his shoe. Like That you know. is going to go down in like in like <laughs> remembering some guy's Mets lore for all time, for sure. 
Yeah. And he also, you know, he was part of the trade that wasn't made. Like, he's in Mets history, whether he yeah. likes it or not. Many he's times over. He's a recurring over. character for the Mets. He is like... Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> Always around somewhere. Recurring Mets characters, yes. In, like, big moments, too. Like, he got a Santana, which led to the no-hitter. He was involved in the non-Cespedes. Like, we ended up getting Cespedes because of that whole thing. And Wilmer Flores crying. And, you know, they went on their run. And then coming back and losing a shoe in a big game against the Nationals. Yee, yee, yee. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I was ho- so hopeful he'd be good when he I came was, back. I was I like, know, oh, he's so have to be great, but maybe he'll be good. And I was like, so no. yeah, because he's fine. It would have been fine. And it just it wasn't meant to be. It was not meant to be. Um, I've I've listened to this show a bunch of times, and I know that there have been some times where you've been watching the game and you you jump in and you you make a comment related to watching the game. I just I'm sorry, I just had to hold myself back because Aaron Altair hit a ball to the morning track in the <laughs> Korean game that I'm watching. Oh my oh, god! Oh no, you can you can shout that it out. You're really fine. important update. Thank you. It's Aaron Altair <laughs> it's, season. It's a, it's a on... re-air of the of the one that was at five thirty in the morning. You weren't up? Nobody was up at that time? Sorry. Yeah, you no, guys or were I guess it was at 1 o'clock in the morning, but no, I was not. Yeah, it's Aaron <laughs> Altair I can, I can, on KBO. I feel safe to say that Aaron Altair is nobody's favorite match. Probably not. No. Um, he got way too many at bad. He comes first alphabetically. <laughs> yes, that's true. He's number one alphabetically. He it's has true. that going for him. It's true. Number one alphabetically, number higher than that in our hearts. <laughs> the KBO, the KBO games being broadcasted has been excellent for my brand because there are many, many former Mets and Orioles present, especially yeah. Orioles. Yeah. I just can't do it. It's Orioles. too. I, it's I too just late. got my sleep back. Yeah. I can't. They rebroadcast uh, them. Yeah, that's true. I should be watching the rebroadcasts. I've been yeah. watching all the old Mets games on SNY. And Gary Keith Gary and Ron Keith. have been uh, broadcasting a virtual game today, too. Yeah, yeah, they watched, the, the they did one today, and then Jeff McNeil saw Sim. Jeff McNeil hit a home run, which was fun. Yes. Um, so we've got uh, Dan Thornton uh, replying with a very classic good answer, Keith Hernandez. My earliest memories were perennial losing teams in the late 70s and early 80s. Keith was the leader kicking off the 84 revival and leading to the 86 World Series win. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, Yeah. Even absent Keith's um, broadcasting career for the Mets, he's still uh, very much a symbol of the Mets' turnaround uh, to becoming a great baseball team. Um, And I think for that reason, he'll be forever. Even though, like, he really is a cardinal as far as his like baseball legacy, but that's why he's so sh- such an important part of Mets history. It's not just like the amazing baseball he played for the Mets, which he played fantastic baseball for the Mets, but just like the symbolic meaning of like the turnaround, putting the Mets back on the map, which I feel like is what Mike Piazza is for. The, yes, for he's like kind of that equivalent. Him and Gary Carter both um, are both symbolic of the Mets turning it around and becoming good again. And Mike Piazza was symbolic of the late nineties teams turning it around and becoming good again. So um, definitely a good answer. And even though, and even though Keith you know, played his best baseball for the Cardinals and we'll never stop talking about how much he loves the Cardinals and everything about them. Um, he did, he did discover a real stardom. I mean, he was a star for the Cardinals for sure, but, but like the personality, the like pizzazz, 
you know, the, the real, the like literally being, you know, on television and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing that was all so tied into his time in New York. Like he would never have been Keith Hernandez, the Cardinal on Seinfeld. No, exactly. On Seinfeld, on the just for men ads on TV. (laughs) On Sesame street, the true, um, the true king of heroes. Yes. And also, um, I don't know how people feel about this, but I think 17 should be retired. I agree. Yes. I, sure. agree. I would retire many more numbers than the Mets retire and many yeah. fewer than the Yankees retire. Yes. Agreed. There's a happy agree. medium there they need to find. Yes. Um, and I hope I'm hoping that, um, you know, that they're kind of starting to get it. Um and I think that they, that they're going to start to retire a lot more numbers now. Money off of it because we all show up to the game. Yeah, oh, rocket science. Exactly. Um. So we've got Linda. We've got another vote for Robin Ventura here from Metzgal. Yes. Robin Ventura. That 1999 NLCS game was one of the last memories with my dad, and I'll cherish it forever. That is a damn good reason to have. Yeah. Robin Ventura yeah. is your favorite. Um. Dennis has a podcast, uh, tells us, Seth Lugo, I'm not sure you need me to extrapolate. Hell yeah, Dennis. I'm with you, buddy. <laughs> Seth Lugo. Seth Your Lugo's man. my man. We don't need Dennis to extrapolate, but we sure love it when he does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seth Lugo rules. Um, so we've got um, Lev Gersel saying, Sean Green. That is that is an off-the-wall answer. I love Hold that. On. It's Sean Green. <laughs> S-E-A-N or S-H-A-W-N? S-H-A-W-N. S-H-A-W-N. Okay. Um, my grandpa told me stories of how awesome it was watching Koufax pitch for the Dodgers, so I thought it would be cool when another really good Jewish ball player was on my favorite team. Aww. <laughs> well, <laughs> he tried. He did. He did. Um, and then we've got um, Greg Pattonod. Three acquisitions in Mets history that are standouts above all others. Um, Staub, Hernandez, and Piazza. Carter mm. is an honorable mention. Yeah, that's kind of like what we were talking about before. Yeah. Like, acquisitions that really put the Mets on the map. And honestly, like, I'll put I'll put Carlos Beltran up there with those others. Because um, I think for the 06 team, that's Beltran. Um, yeah. The Mets made... And that was Cespedes, too. Yeah, and it's Cespedes. It's kind of like there's always, like... The one or two guys that were their big star acquisitions that made you feel like, okay, yeah, the Mets are like the Mets are back. They're serious about winning. Um, and Beltran was that for the 06 team, I think. Um, it's so nice when a thing goes right because so often it goes so horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, so yeah, those are some some really some really good answers, and I like the variety too. I do like that I people do too. didn't just go for the easy answers even though obviously like david wright is the obvious answer for many people of our generation but i like that people picked a variety of mets well sometimes there's no yeah sometimes there's no rational reason to why you just happen to like a dude yep or not like a dude because that that definitely comes up oh yes it does can i tell you that it is extraordinarily rare that i run into someone but i have run into at least one other person who said that neil allen was their favorite Met. So you'd be, be, it's amazing how you like every player has their people. And that, I guess it's kind of the cool thing about baseball. Oh, my sister always liked the funky, like side armor. So she really liked Jason Isringhausen for a while. 
Chad Bradford. I I liked Kirk Doenheis for a while because I remembered how to spell his name. Yes. <laughs> That's quite an accomplishment, actually. It is. It is. You just have to say it in your head kind of phonetically, like Neo and Huis. No, okay. It was always, <laughs> those were the uh, the two for me that were always the most difficult um, were Neuenheis and Doug Mankiewicz. Yeah. Oh, I still can't get Mankiewicz. Can't get Doug Mankiewicz. Yeah, M-I-E-N-T-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z. I think that's right. Sure. <laughs> we're not going to say no. <laughs> not going to say you're wrong because I can't prove you wrong. Um, I was just watching a documentary on the 2000 Olympic baseball team, and Minkavich was on fire during that uh, that series. He hit like a walk off home run. I think he hit two walk off home runs. I was like, wow, I do not remember this. Remembering some guys. Yeah, and Ben Sheets pitched a complete game shutout against the Cubans to win the gold medal in 2000. Wait, did Doug Minkavich wear 15? On the Mets, it might have worn sixteen because I was like, I, I thought think I liked 16. him, and it might have been because it was fifteen. But I think he was sixteen. Doug Mankiewicz, Mets. I'm googling this live on the pod. Scintillating. Did right you now. spell his name right? It auto filled <laughs> it for me. So yes. <laughs> oh, he was sixteen. Okay, that's why. Yeah, I thought right. so. I think he was a good mentor to David Wright, though, so he did service purposes. Um, speaking of like. David Wright, my um, my favorite, probably my most favorite, like truly random dude is probably Ty Wigginton. Um, yes, I love him. I freaking love Ty Wigginton. And I remember like and I think I might have mentioned this on the pod before, but ignorant as I was as a youth, I when David Wright was coming up. Um, that meant Ty Wigginton's tenure as the Mets third baseman was coming to an end. And I remember when they cl- were cleaning out his locker, I cried. <laughs> I was Aww. mad that they called David Wright up because I like Ty Wigginton. I know. I was like, this, <laughs> this David guy. Wright guy displacing yeah. Ty Wigginton. It's my guy. How dare you? Yeah. How, well, how naive I was. I- <laughs> I know. I remember being so mad. I'm sorry, David. We didn't know. It was we a different time. We were. we were children. Um no. so <laughs> yes, the that um those are our favorite Mets. Um if you still have uh if you want to tell us who your favorite Met is and you didn't get a chance to tell us before the show, feel free to tweet at us who your favorite Met is and why. And extra points if you have a really quirky answer and story to go along with it. We like those. Yeah, um, that's awesome. But um, we will finish off the show this week like we do every week with walk-off wins where each of us talks about what is making us happy this week, baseball-related or otherwise. Mark Simon, what is your walk-off win? All right. I think I have something that will uh, satisfy the audience here. Um, I have, uh, during the time of the pandemic, looked for a lot of different entertainment uh, kind of things. Uh, and one that I came across that I like is, kind of nostalgic is uh, on instagram it's called save with stories and what it is is it's celebrities reading children's stories yes i Uh, have seen that yep sometimes they're reading them to kids uh that are there sometimes they're just reading them to people that are uh just essentially to you um and they they're good because it's kind of like a flashback to childhood there's like i saw bedtime for francis caps for sale um frog and toad books that i read when i was a little kid and uh, it's for charity. It's for two different organizations, Save the Children and No Kid Hungry. Uh, they uh, help uh, provide 
uh, food and resources to children uh, during the time of the pandemic. And here's the punchline. Uh, two Mets have contributed to Save With Stories. One of them is Mr. Met. Uh, the Excellent. other, uh, the other reading Good Night, Good Night, Moonlight Train is Curtis Granderson. Oh, yeah. she reads a book about a train? You you don't understand what this will mean to my family. Yes, <laughs> I have, get Tommy I have a on rail it. fan. Yes. And this is going to be epic. Um, thank you. I'm very excited about this. This makes there my night. And there are a lot of good, there are a lot of other people that, um, that uh, just as a, going back to the, the thing about journalists, um, Sophia Bush uh, did a really good one. That's uh, a children's story, but I think the adults will appreciate it because you can relate it to uh, immigration and uh, getting the opportunity to meet new people uh, of different cultures and backgrounds. Uh, and her story in particular that she shared uh, was one of the ones that I really liked. That's awesome. That's awesome. It is really good. I have to check out more of that. I've only seen a couple, but from all of that I've seen, they've been, they've been really good so far. Yeah, yep. Linda, this pushes your librarian buttons quite well. It does, but they're putting me out of business, too. Like, I can't compete with that. <laughs> I can't <laughs> compete with Curtis Granderson. <laughs> Come on, guys. They need, the libraries need their virtual story times, too. Um, exactly. <laughs> Linda, what is your walk-off win for this week? Um, I had one. Okay, um, well, first, my cousin successfully defended his dissertation i think yesterday um so he's very very smart and a lot smarter than me and so um it was kind of like weird because you know it was all virtual and it was a zoom and um so we all got the invite and so i'm sure he was super nervous to not only have to defend his dissertation but then to have his entire family sitting there too like no pressure sure um but yeah, um, my aunt texted shortly after saying um, that it was accepted. So he's he's gonna he's doctor now. Um, so congratulations to to Phil. And you know, I knew he was he was gonna be fine. Like he shouldn't have been nervous if he was. Um, but so yeah, so he did. Um, his dissertation on HIV and how it's smart enough to go around your like any defenses your body has, it somehow finds a way to go around it. Um, so I just like it blows my mind that you can study like these microscopic things. Like, I, like I don't know how you do that, Allison. Like, it just it like it, that you can see these these things. And that, you know, you just can't see with the naked eye. Like, it's just incredible to me. So I, I have a great appreciation of what you do, what he does. Um, so that's the first thing. And then, like, I want to say an hour before we started podcasting, uh, my friend texted me a picture of a sonogram. So she's expecting her first baby. Oh, yay! Um, yeah, so she's expecting her first baby in November and... She's uh, healthy. She's the one whose wedding I went to in Toronto back in December. Oh, right. So, yeah. So congratulations to her. She's feeling good. I, I mean, it's not ideal having to do telemedicine right now. Um, but she's, I guess she said everything looks good. She's good. The baby's good so far. So uh, congratulations to her and and her husband and the whole family. That's awesome. Um, That's great. 
as a as a newly minted, relatively newly minted uh, PhD myself, I have a great deal of sympathy for all of the graduate students that are trying to defend their theses right now. I um, can't imagine. Um, like all I've been th- like I, all I've been thinking about lately is like how lucky I feel to not still be in grad school right now because it's so stressful. Like I if I couldn't go to the lab and do my work, my graduation would have been delayed by months, probably years by this. Ugh. Um and like defending my dissertation like even though it was it was nerve-wracking to give the big talk in front of all the people but like it was it was the culmination of six years of work and like getting to celebrate that in person with my friends my family my um graduate advisors all my like all my student friends all my fellow graduate student friends my cohort like everybody was you know really like satisfying and you know heartwarming to celebrate that with all the people I care about and so to not really be able to do that and only have that be virtual this huge like part of your life like I I sympathize a great deal with that I'm I'm sad for them it sucks I mean my my roommate from Baltimore who was in my same program she's going through that now because she hadn't graduated yet luckily her work hasn't been impacted because she was in the final stages kind of already and like planning to defend so all she's really doing is writing which she can do from home writing her thesis but like she's gonna have to have a virtual thesis seminar and that sucks like I would have loved to have gone down to Baltimore to see her graduate but I can't so it sucks a lot it sucks a lot um Maggie what is your walk-off win for this week um so this is a little outdated because I found out about it when it had already been running for a week but um so as a little bit of background, um, I love ballet. I did ballet for many years as a child. And for as long as I can remember, my mom and I have had um, have had a tradition of we go to the ballet every year, usually, I mean, always for my birthday and then often for Christmas as well. Um, we always go to New York City Ballet. Um, and for the period, for like the next month or so, New York City Ballet is putting is is putting a ballet up for streaming twice a week. Um, and this is a huge deal because New York City Ballet has always been super, super stingy with anything more than the most cursory clip that they will put online. So it's amazing because we can watch the ballet and I can watch, you know, not with my mom, but, you know, simultaneous with my mom. And that's, you know, my mom... Um, she was she was really sick. She she had COVID-19 like back at the very kind of beginning of all this. Um, and like, you know, this is one of those things where you know, when your mom's on a ventilator, you think about a lot of different things. And certainly I thought a lot about um, about ballet and, and getting to see that with her again. And, and so it's it's really nice to be able to have access to that right now. And, and I hope they I hope they extend it because. It, they have this amazing library of ballets from the last decade or so. Absolutely incredible stuff. And it's just never online. So, um, yes. Yeah, so check it out. Um, we'll, we'll link to all this kind of stuff, but, um, it's on YouTube. It's on their YouTube channel. Um, and yeah, they're wonderful. So every Tuesday and Friday, a new one drops and it's only up for three days. So yeah, that's really good. I didn't realize that. And it's a good way to introduce people to ballet, too. Yeah. And and, and they 
New York City Ballet has some really approachable stuff. Not like, not not necessarily just like the kind of silly things like the Nutcracker, but like like real serious ballets, but that don't feel um, kind of crusty and outdated. That feel like something fresh and meaningful. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And we will, yeah, we'll, like Maggie said, we'll link to that in the tweets and show notes and such like that. So you guys can um, access it if you so choose. Um, my walk-off win this week um, is, it has to do with the support network of friends and family I have and how grateful I am for them. Um, I've been going through a lot this week, uh, and I'm not going to go into details about it because I'm not going to bore you all with it. But basically, like, trying to make huge life choices and trying to find a job and coordinate a career with your significant other while they're trying to start their career and you're trying to find a place to live during this whole um, pandemic situation is not great. I don't recommend it. Um, and so... That's one of the things that's hard. Not a pandemic. Yeah, it's it's stressful yeah. during normal times, and now the stress is just, like, multiplied by a lot, a, a huge factor. Um, and so, you know, like, the people closest to us know that we're going through these changes, trying to find jobs. And um, so I was with Michael this weekend, um, and we were about to go on a walk, um, and the uh we just like opened the door and there's a package for him at the at the front step and I was like did you order anything like on Amazon or anything he's like no um and he opens it and it's a crumb cake that his sister just like delivered to him because he because like he was she was like you're job hunting this sucks and also like congratulations on the offers you've gotten so far and trying to make a choice here's a crumb cake so we like got the surprise delivery of the crumb cake and we were like oh that's very sweet and then we like go about our day and we're like making dinner and um he gets a phone call and it's a pizza delivery guy is delivering us a pizza and we're like we didn't order a pizza and it turns out my best college friends uh three of them are our roommates so they all live together the three of them ordered a pizza to michael's apartment for us because they knew we were stressed out and so they were like here's a pizza and i was like wow (laughs) you guys are so nice this just made my entire day so we were like in the middle of making dinner and i was like now we can eat this tomorrow and eat pizza now (laughs) um and so it was just really sweet to like get um two surprise deliveries from uh family and friends in one day um so that's my walk-off win for this week it's just i'm very grateful even though i'm we're going through a stressful time right now i'm really grateful that I have, I know I have people in my life to support me no matter what happens. So it makes me happy. Um, so that does it for the show this week. Mark Simon, where can folks find you on the interwebs? <laughs> Number of places. Uh, Twitter, Mark A. Simon Says. A is my middle initial. That's when Mark Simon Says was taken. Uh, and also sportsinfo underscore S-I-S. We have a podcast of our own called the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast that you can learn more about um, some of the things that we talked about today. And you should also be reading Mark's work on The Athletic um, as well. So, um, yeah, follow Mark on Twitter, read his work on The Athletic, listen to the podcast. Um, We highly recommend it. Um, In the meantime, you can also go to AmazingAvenue.com and get all of our fantastic Mets content. Chris McShane is continuing to play around with the virtual Mets, uh, so we will continue to provide updates on them. 
um, among other things. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter at a pod of their own. You can please subscribe to the show um, on uh, on all the things: Spotify, Stitcher iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, subscribe to the show. Rate and review the show. It really helps. Follow the show on Twitter. You can follow each of us on Twitter. I am at Petite PhD. Where are you, Linda? At Linda Servage. And you, Maggie? At Maggie162. The original intro and outro music to this podcast is by Bunga. Let's go Mets. And don't forget, there is no crying in podcasting.